0: Alright, we're still in 1 Samuel, but we're moving on to kind of a new section and a new part of the history of God's people. And so we've been talking a lot about judges, and we're at the point where Samuel is the judge and his sons are the last judges. Samuel was one of those judges who was very influential and, and walked with God and served God in a mighty way. And Samuel was able to get the Israelite people to return back to him and to follow their ways right and so that was that cycle of judges we've talked about where you know a judge comes and convicts the people and gets them back on the right track and they do pretty well until the judge dies and then the people tend to revert off um, and go back to their old ways and that's a little bit what we're going to see today but it's the people are going to head off in in a different direction even yet and so we'll we'll look at that as we get there so How many of you have thought of something that you really, really needed, that you thought would be the key to all your problems? And so you you asked for it, or you worked hard for it and saved up your money, and then you, you got that special certain thing, and then your life wasn't really that different. Has that happened to anybody? It's true. Sometimes, sometimes we do get things, right? Sometimes God blesses us in a way where he gives us a, a tool or a new way of doing something or someone in our lives that really blesses us and does make life better. But lots of times, and this is what the, the Israelite people are doing, is they keep, instead of focusing on God and doing what God says, and God for a long time has been telling them, what? What happens if the people obey God and, and they follow his commandments? What does God tell them he's going to do for them? He's going to bless them. They're going to be, there's, there's all these good things, right? And there are specific blessings he gave the, the Israelite people, his chosen people. But even with all those things, and God's shown them, right? He's done lots of things for them, but they still can't seem to shake that fleshly desire to go and do what they want and have their way. And we're just going to see that manifested in another way today and we're really looking at you know people are not satisfied with what God's giving them they're not grateful for what God's giving them they're not willing to walk the path that God sets before them and so they head off on their own and and things happen as a result of that so today we're going to talk about um how Saul became king right and he's going to be the first king for the Israelite nation so we're in uh 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Samuel with an S, sorry. I'll try to enunciate better. My wife's been gone. I haven't had anybody to talk to but the dogs. So So 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 1. And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain, and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, "'Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways.' Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day in that they have forsaken me and served other gods so they are doing to you also now then, listen to their voice however, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them and so we kind of see some different things playing out over again right? because here we have Samuel who is following after God, but what are his sons doing? They're supposed to follow in his footsteps. They are supposed to be the judges, right? And remember, what was the role of the judge for the Israelite people during this time? He settled disputes, knew and understood God's law, and made sure the people were following God's law, right? He was kind of the caretaker or the ruler. He was God's, if you will, representative on earth, and tried to help people understand when they were doing wrong and get them back on the right path, right? But what happens when the ones who are in charge are doing the bad things? Does that help? No. They, you know, as, as a leader, if you don't lead and follow the right way and do the right thing, people will follow what you do. And since our, since our nature as sinful people is to want to do the wrong thing, when the person in charge starts doing the wrong thing, we're more than happy to follow them, aren't we? Because that's what our sin nature wants to do, right? Really, hopefully what we do is is we don't follow them. But in in this case, you know, Samuel's sons are not towing the line. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Part of this that's good is the Israelite people recognize this, right? They actually come to Samuel and say, hey, your boys aren't doing what they're supposed to do. They're not following God's law. They're not doing what they're supposed to do, right? So that's very good, isn't it? But where do they go wrong? They want a king, right? And, and it says in here, give us a king to judge us. Where did all the judges come beforehand? Who appointed the judges? God. God God chose who was going to be the judge, and God influenced that judge and gave that judge the power and the wisdom and the understanding to do what God needed them to do, right? So what are the people saying, right? It's like you're at a basketball game. You're saying, hey, I want to pick the ref who's from... You know, that I know from my team who will, you know, be favorable to me when they judge me, right? They want to pick their own judge. Well, that's not really how God has set this up. But they're wanting to do that. What's the other reason they're asking why they're saying we want to have a king? Be like the other nations, right? All the other nations have a king that rules over them. In, in truth, do the Israelite people have a king already? God was their king, God is our king, right? Because when we think of a king, what, what, what rights and privileges does a king have? It's pretty much absolute power, right? If you go back through history, and if you look at these other nations, and you look at kings, what did they have the power to do? Anything they wanted, right? They could take land from people, right? And they, and they did in the form of taxes, didn't they right so earthly kings you know they rule over their people right and they use the people for their good they make them pay taxes so that the kings are wealthy they make them you know the king owns all the land but they make the people work the land for them right kings decide when to go to war you know and if you violate one of the king's rules or he just doesn't like you he can have you killed right so you know, it's just one of those things when you look at really what the people are asking for. Do you think they really want that? Because what kind of king are they really used to? God. God is a king, right? He is almighty, but he's righteous and he's just and he's perfect in his will and his judgment, right? How many earthly kings are that way? Pretty much none. There were some who who were good kings, who did try to do good, but they all, you know, none of them were perfect, right? Most of them had their own Um, their own agenda. They wanted to do their own things. They were looking out for themselves, really. They tried to help the people, some of them. did. Some of them were horrible kings and just pretty much used the people for all they were worth and didn't care. But the people have decided here that they want to have a king. So, does anything ever surprise God? No. God knew this was going to happen. He knows that people are just going to keep going through this downward spiral because try as we might, we have a hard time just keeping our eyes on God and focusing on Jesus, and we tend to do the worldly things, right? And so we tend to go off in that downward spiral of pleasing ourselves and being selfish, and it's all those things, um, you know, it's the lust of the eyes and and the pride of life and those kind of things that occupy our time instead of God and, and doing His work. So if you look back um, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 through 20. So Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20. So God knew. So this this is, you know, back in time that we're looking at. But God already knew that people were going to want a king. And so God already set out his expectations for what a godly king would be. And this is um, God talking to to Moses here. So Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, One one from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself." Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of So God already knows people are going to fail at having judges, and so he's going to give them a king, and that's what they're going to ask for. But I think the kind of king that God is describing here, that God says, this is, if you want a king, this is the kind of king you should have, I don't know that that's the kind of king that the people are asking for. I think they really are wanting one like they see around them. But there are some interesting qualifications in here, aren't there? And really, if you think about it, this king you know it has to be from their tribe right they're still God's people they're still holy and set apart so it has to be an Israelite but how does God describe what this king should do and how he should rule he needs to read the rules daily right it says you're going to write down these scriptures in the presence of the Levitical priest right those who know the word well you're going to write it down and you should read it and follow it pretty much he's saying as a king you should be the best example of a godly man that you can be, and that's how you would be it, right? Is this king supposed to seek wealth? No. There's a lot of talk of horses and things in there. Horses were a symbol of wealth and power then, right? Because if you had a horse, you could travel fast. Your um, fighting men could fight better. You could pull chariots and wagons, right? So lots of horses is a sign of someone who's wealthy, right? And they're not supposed to seek after the gold. Uh, what's another one in there that they're not supposed to do? have lots of wives, right? Can you think of a king later on in the kingly lines whose downfall is lots of wives? Solomon, right? Foreign wives, particularly, who lead him astray, and he loves his wife, and they're like, come on, you can worship my God too, it's not so bad. And and he, as wise as Solomon was, right? And that's something for us to think about, right? Sometimes we think we're pretty smart, and we know quite a bit and stuff. Solomon was the wisest man on the And he still had a hard time doing what God wanted him to do, right? We all have struggles with that, right? We can all overcome because God, through the Holy Spirit and the work Christ did, we have the ability to do that. It's making those choices. That's the hardest thing in the world is making those choices, doing the right thing. He did. That Solomon had 700 concubines and 300 wives, right? I don't know what he was thinking, but (laughs) (laughs) anyway. I'm sure we will get to Solomon. uh, he, He was a king who, in many ways, was a good king, but also had his faults, right? Just like all of us. We all can be really good people, but we all, through our sin nature, sometimes we slip up, we do the wrong thing. And so, Samuel's a godly judge, right? And so the people come to him and say, we want a king like everybody else. How did that make Samuel feel? Rejected. He's pretty mad, right? One, because, you know, these people, he's been trying to shepherd along the right way here again they want to do the wrong thing but it's a personal indictment against Samuel saying you're a lousy judge we need a king right so Samuel personally feels bad but I think he feels worse that the people are trying to violate God's law so how does Samuel react what does he do praise to God right he seeks out God and he says Lord look at these people what are they doing you know they're rejecting you again how am I supposed to deal with this And what does God direct him to do? Right? He says, well, listen to what they say. And and an important thing in here, right? And we have to remember that. When we, let's say, you know, we, we know someone who's behaving in an ungodly way. And we approach them about that. And we talk to them about that. And they argue with us. And they continue to go on and do it in that way. Are they really sinning against us? No. They're sinning against God. The people here haven't really rejected Samuel. They've rejected God. Samuel operates under God's authority. If people are ignoring Samuel, really they're ignoring God. When when you are doing something ungodly, it very well may hurt another person here on earth. It might hurt a Christian brother or sister. But ultimately what you're doing is you are sinning against God. That's where all this ends up. Is you, you are violating God's law and there will be punishment for that. And so in an interesting way, and maybe your parents did this for you growing up, I know... My mom did this a couple times for me. She knew I really wanted something that wasn't good for me. She let me have it or do it. And that's what God says. He's like, all right. I've tried and tried with all these judges, and you think a king's better? Fine. Have a king. So God is going to give the people a king. And so that's the direction that God gives Samuel. He says, look, hear them out. Tell them that I'm going to give them a king. But he says, solemnly warn them about what this means, right? So God, once again, is going to give them a chance where maybe if the people were to actually hear what God's telling them, then they might go, wait a minute, we don't really want a king. We're going to actually, you know, if you'll get Samuel's sons to do what they're supposed to do, we're going to follow them just like we're. So um, God does appoint a king. And so we're going to talk about that next. First Samuel chapter nine, I'm just going to read verses one and two. So first Samuel nine, one and two. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, the, Benj- the, son- the son of a Benjamite, a mighty man of valor. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man, and there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up he was taller than any of them. So who does it sound like God is picking to be a king? Somebody who looks the part, right? Saul sounds impressive, right? He, he comes from a rich family. His dad is a man of valor, right? He's in the line of Benjamin. Um, and Saul's good-looking, right? Says he's handsome. There's nobody more handsome. He's a head taller than everybody else. He's a big, impressive-looking guy. And this is who um, God is choosing, right? And when people see him, do you think they're going to be impressed? And, and why do you think that is? They don't know anything about him, right? But they see him, and what do they think? Judging a book by its cover, right? Exactly. Wow. Yeah, if I was going to pick a king, I would pick that guy. He looks like, comes from a good family, big, powerful, right? And that's our problem, right? What do, what do we do that we're not supposed to do? We, we walk by what? We walk by sight and not by faith, right? What really should people be looking at when they're choosing a king? Not outward appearances, right? They need to look at their heart, right? That's really how we know who a person is and how they will behave and whether or not they will honor God is by their heart and the choices they make, right? So... Saul, no doubt, is very impressive. This is who God is going to choose to anoint as the... So Saul's dad's name is Kish. He's a wealthy guy. A bunch of his donkeys run away, right? They take off, and he wants Saul to go find them. So Saul takes a servant, and they head off, and they're going out through the wilderness, and they're asking everybody, and they can't find these donkeys, and they can't find these donkeys. And so finally Saul says, you know what? We're not going to find them. They're going to just go back. And his servant says, wait, why don't we go seek the man of God, Samuel, and see if he can help us, see what he has to say, right? Unbeknownst to Saul, the day before they show up, God tells Samuel, I'm, I've chosen the king I'm going to anoint. He's going to show up tomorrow, and this is how you're going to know it's him. And when he gets here, I want you to, an-. and so that's where we're going to pick up is First Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. So first Samuel ten, verses one through ten. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys, and is anxious for you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor, and there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three goats, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Afterward you will come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city, That you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. Then it happened, when he turned back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all those signs came about on that day. When they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so that he prophesied among them. So it's pretty interesting here, the different events that are happening where God is anointing Saul king. And, and when we talk about anointing with oil, that's something that God has used all along to show something has been set aside and is holy and purified and is for God's work. Um, the, the different um, the sacrifices, the basins, the tools, all those things in the temple, those were all anointed with oil the different ways God has set somebody apart. And so God is anointing Saul, right? He's setting him apart by having Samuel anoint his head with oil. So that's just a symbolic thing that carries through in all the way God's done things to show that this king, Saul, that, that God's anointed, has been chosen by him. Um, it's interesting because what does Samuel tell Saul that he's going to be? It's a specific word. Ruler. He says um, in verse one, "Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over His inheritance?" What do you think the difference is between ruler and king? True, but the, the, the British form of government's changed to where the, the royal family is more figurehead. But here, what I was thinking of is, has God did God make Saul God? No, right. God is king. So really, the emphasis here is God is telling Saul through Samuel, you're ruling the people. Really, he's going to be like a judge, right? So they're going to call him king. His role is going to be the same. He's supposed to rule over the people, right? So God is a God of order and authority. God still has all of the authority. He is now giving his authority to rule the people to Saul. So he hasn't made him king in the way that people of the world think of as a king. He's just said, you're now my representative. You're going to rule. Your title is king, Saul. But really, I'm still king, God. You're going to rule in my place on earth. You're going to be the person people can see and hear physically on the earth. And so that's, that, I think, is an important thing. And, and he still, you know, he says rule over his inheritance, right? He didn't give the people to Saul. They aren't Saul's people. They're still God's people, right? His inheritance means God's inheritance, which means the Israelite people are still God's people. It's just that Saul is going to be the ruler over them, right? And so what do you think the most significant thing is in here that really helps us understand salvation through because Saul anoints him, tells him all these things are going to happen. What happens when Samuel turns away? What did God change? His heart. It says in verse 9, Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel. God changed his heart. Just like when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God changes our heart. Do we look the same on the outside? Yep. You cannot tell if someone is saved by looking at them. You can have a very good idea if someone is saved by the choices they make because their heart is different, right? God changes our hearts. We're a new creation in Christ when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We now have the ability if we'll listen to God and exercise some discipline and self-control and sacrifice what we want and do what God wants we can show people we're saved through our actions. Your heart really is who you are, right? You have your physical body, you have your mind, but it's your heart. It's who you're willing to follow. It's what you will do. It's what you'll give up to follow God. That that shows that someone's been saved. If you've known someone for a while and they tell you they've been saved and they're exactly the same, you have to wonder, right? We can't tell and we don't get to judge that. That's Christ will judge that in the end time. But we can sure tell if someone's been saved when they change. They behave differently, right? They're willing to do different things. They stop doing ungodly things, and they start doing godly things, right? Maybe they're more pleasant to be around. Maybe they're helping people out when before they couldn't help people out. You know, maybe before they were never generous, and now they're super generous, right? There's all these things called the fruits of the spirit when you start to see someone exhibiting fruits of the spirit that's showing you they have changed here god changed saul's heart right just like that that's what god did for them and all these signs come true so that saul knows what samuel told him is true and it gives him confidence so that he can be the leader that he's supposed to be and so God knows he's chosen Saul. Samuel anointed Saul, right? But it was kind of off on their own. Does anybody else know that Saul's been named king? Not yet. So we have to let the people know. And that's what we're going to look at next. So 1 Samuel 10, we're going to skip to verse 17. And I'm going to read through 24. So starting in 1 Samuel 10, verse 17. Thereafter, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzpah, and he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said, No, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, Present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Matrite family was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, He is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? What do you think was going through Saul's mind when he finally realizes that? God actually did choose me to be king. Does, it, does, does the text, does it sound like he's ready to do what God's will is? Sounds like he was full of fear. And he probably was. Should he be? On the one hand, he should be very nervous because he, he's hold, heard all the stories, right? I mean, all the way back to Egypt, what the people do, right? And how they've treated the judges and all the things that people have done, right? It's kind of like you're going to be the substitute teacher of a rowdy class, right? And you're going to show up, and you've heard all the stories, right? But what's the other side of this story? What has God done for Saul that should make him, although he's nervous, right? A little bit of nervousness isn't bad, right? If you have to go do something and you're a little nervous, sometimes that just makes you that much better, right? You're, you're alert, you're ready. Hopefully, ahead of time, you have practice, and you're as prepared as you can be, but... What has God done for Saul? Gave him the Holy Spirit. Changed his heart. So, on the one hand, Saul should be nervous. But he should be excited knowing that the self-existent one, the one who spoke creation into existence, has said, I've chosen you. You're going to be my guy. I've got your back. If you'll follow me, I'll make sure I take care of you. And nobody can stop you. Right? That's how we all should feel. When we're saved... That's the feeling we should get, and that's what we should carry through with us, right? Knowing that if we're in God's will and we're doing what God's calling us to do, we can do whatever he wants, right? And even if we fail in some ways, I mean, in some ways, Samuel failed, right? Didn't do as good a job bringing his kids up, his boys, right? And some of that, those were his son's choices, right? Samuel lived a godly life. They could have made right choices. But obviously here, Saul is nervous, Right? Something interesting that the, the um, study guide also pointed out is, what process did God use to reveal who the king was? Lots, right? But it's similar to, if you remember back when we studied, studied the Battle of Ai, when Joshua first got into the Promised Land. And they were supposed to not keep anything, right? They were supposed to, or actually, the Battle of Ai, um, they lost, right? Because the prior battle they were supposed to destroy everything, right, but one man kept some things, right, and he hid him in his tent, he buried him and put him under a rug, and that sin caused the people to lose the battle of Ai, right, and so how did they figure out who is the person responsible? In a similar way, right, God had Joshua call tribes up, and then a family from a tribe, and then an individual person, and then that person did, at that point, when he was confronted with it, confessed his sin, right, in this way, God's using this same way to call people forward, right, to do those kind of things. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's always, you know, I guess you learn something new and, and, and when you look back on these things. But you would think Saul would be ready and be excited, right? And it wasn't like he didn't know, right? It doesn't really, I, you could probably count up how many days in here, how long it was. But he's known for a while. So you would think he would be praying and, and seeking God's will and doing all of those things, But maybe he hasn't. Maybe he's worried. Maybe he's been convicted about things he's done, and that's what's made him nervous. But when God's calling him to be the king and his family's there, right? It's pretty obvious he should have been there. His family's there. But he's standing back by the baggage, and they have to go bring him up. So maybe a sign of things to come. So, you know, going through this and looking at you know how the the Israelite people have behaved um, and looking at, at Saul... What what kind of lessons do you think we can draw from this? What, what's what's ultimately been causing the problems all along? Pride and disobeying disobeying God, right? And so I think you know really again it's just another another lesson for us is one is to be obedient. Part of doing that is is being being thankful and being content with what God has given us. And, and the people I've shown all along, they're not happy with what God's given them, right? God has always supplied their needs, maybe not in the way they want, but in the way that's, that's what they've needed, right? I mean, think back about the wandering in the desert, right? Well, first of all, they, he's going to give them the promised land. They get there, but they don't believe, you know, they don't want to listen to the spies who say, it's great, the people are big, but God's given us the power to take those people, right? Joshua and Caleb, they believe the other ten and go, Wow. We'll never beat those people. So then they have to wander in the desert for 40 years, right? So there's all these examples, and I think we just need to to take that into that. I think something else we can learn is um, when Samuel was confronted by the people saying, we have to have a king, the right thing to do when we get problems in our lives and something happens is we need to go to God. We need to seek God's counsel and listen to what his counsel is, right? And sometimes God will you know, do different things. In this case, he's giving the people what they're asking for. Now, God's given him a king, right? If they followed Saul and Saul was a godly king, would everything have worked out really good? But again, and and we'll learn about it, we're going to go through and look at the kings of the, the next section of, that we're going to study is we're going to look at Saul and then King David and then King Solomon, right? All, all different kings behaved in different ways, did different things. We have lessons that we can learn from that. But, you know, I think we all know Saul doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And he starts to get prideful and and has some other issues that God has to punish him for. And there's, you know, that whole transition from Saul to David is an interesting one, right? And we'll talk about David, and David was a great king. But did David behave perfectly? No. David had some sin issues that he had to deal with that had consequences that affected his whole family right and and consequently affected us but even through that think of this line right you know especially david who who eventually through david shows up jesus christ right and so you know i think you know looking through this and just understanding who we are as sinful people that we're all children of adam and that's where we come from that we have that nature that we want to do what makes us feel good do what we like we want to have everything everything like everybody else has we have to be content with what god gives us and to to learn to do that and most of the time to do that we have to sacrifice right we have to give up something sometimes that's a big thing sometimes it's just a little thing but we we still have to be giving up right but what what is our reward at the end eternal life with him right and so whenever we have to make those choices here where we know we're going to give up some things here, here's not that long, is it? It seems like it. When we're living our life here on earth, because we are in time, and we're looking at how things go, 20, 30, 40 years can seem like a very, very, very long time. But how is that compared to eternity? The drop in the bucket, right? So if we keep that eternal perspective of what our final reward is, we can give up those things, I think, here on earth. I think it can motivate us to help help out those who are in need here, right? We can do the right thing. We can give up our time. You know, it's being a good servant of God isn't about writing checks. God, God spoke the universe into existence. If God felt like our church needed a million dollars, he could some way make a million dollars show up, right? There's lots of ways he could do that. But does our church really need a million dollars? We wouldn't turn it down. We need godly people to serve god to be in other people's lives to encourage people to help people out to spend time with one another to come in and you know serve meals and do all those things that it takes right take people to the doctor's appointments it's really your time that god wants right because it you know like i said if if god really wants somebody to have a lot of money that's nothing for god god can do that in lots of different ways it's you making a choice of what you do and how you choose to serve God and so in the coming lessons we're going to see what Saul does with that responsibility that God does anybody have any comments before we close